0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff and management. Good morning
1: and welcome to Mentoring with Larry Sternberg, brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. My guests today... Are doctors, Kurt Krager and Lisa Finkelstein, who are researchers in the area of mentoring. Let me give you a brief synopsis of their bio. Dr. Kurt Krager received his PhD in industrial and organizational psychology from The Ohio State University and he is currently a professor of psychology at Colorado State University. He's a fellow and former president of the Society of Industrial Organization known as SIOP. He's an associate editor of the Journal of Business and Psychology. He's an expert on training and ill-structured learning environments, having edited three professional books, and published or presented over 110 papers on training-related topics. Dr. Finkelstein earned her PhD in industrial and organizational psychology from Tulane University and has been a professor in the I.O. area of the Department of Psychology at Northern Illinois University since then. She conducts, presents, and publishes research in the area of workplace mentoring, She provides consultation services to organizations to assist in the development, implementation, management, and evaluation of mentoring programs. She's a fellow of the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. Doctors, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks for having us.
1: Good to be here. Can I call you Kurt and Lisa? Please do. Okay. I understand. How many studies have you done on mentoring?
2: Oh gosh, I'm not even sure. Um, I don't know a dozen, maybe around then. What attracted
1: to you that area of study?
2: Um. Well. For me, personally, it actually started early on, right after I was finishing graduate school and I was starting my career as a professor and beginning um, to do a lot of research. And I came about it in this really indirect kind of way. I had um, been studying aging issues at work and specifically age stereotyping and age discrimination and trying to understand what work was like for older people and older workers. And in the process of doing that, I started to think about instances where older workers were going to be in situations where people would expect younger workers typically to be. So one of those... experiences that I thought about was mentoring because people usually think of mentoring as something that an older person does with a younger person. We have sort of the older, wiser mentor helping the younger kind of newbie um, understand their work environment but in today's day and age a lot of older people are going into different work environments and changing their careers later in life and a lot of times people who are older actually want to have a mentor and sometimes the mentors that are available actually might be younger than them so it kind of turns everything on its head. So that was my first interest in mentoring was really because of my interest in aging, and so I started out doing stuff with aging and mentoring, and then um, from that, I just became more and more interested in mentoring in general and trying to understand exactly what it is that good mentors are actually doing.
3: And Kurt, I'm going to Larry, ask you the what same question. Is,
2: I'm sorry?
1: I said I'm going to ask you the same question. What okay. got you interested in mentoring yeah, my, as a... Go ahead.
3: Yeah, my uh, I don't have the same... Uh, extensive experience that lisa does it, kind of historically mentoring as you, you read in my bio a lot of the tr- research that i've done in my career has been in the area of training and i call it training and ill-structured environment learning environments and an ill-structured environment is anything other than when you have someone in the front of the room telling you what you need to know and when you're ready to take a test and so i've tried about four or five years ago i Tried to kind of expand out. So, I'd, for example, I did a lot of work in computer-based training, and I tried to look at other avenues or mechanisms where people learn on the job, and mentoring's one of those. So, um, Lisa and I had worked on a smaller project a number of years ago, but I approached her because being being older myself, I wanted to find someone who was really kind of a prominent, uh, established mentoring researcher that um, I could learn something from, and so we started kind of identifying some kind of common interests, and, and as Lisa said, you know, how, what specifically mentors do or effective mentors do is one of these common areas that was interesting to both of us.
1: Let's talk about that.
2: What <laughs>
3: Do
1: mentors do?
2: Well, that's an excellent question, and that's what we've been really trying to figure out. So we often like call it trying to kind of open the door and open the black box of mentoring and try to figure out what's going on. So we were kind of inspired um, to to think about this question because um, a lot of the mentoring research historically has, you know, tried to understand this with really broad strokes. So um, as you know, Larry, because you're so interested in mentoring, a lot of people talk about um, sort of mentors help you with um, career-related functions, so trying to help you um, network or um, help you have more visibility within an organization or seek out promotional opportunities, growth opportunities, that kind of thing. And then mentors also have this psychosocial function, which is more about kind of being a sounding board, somebody to go to for advice, kind of a more friendly person to lend you an ear sort of thing. And so that's a really broad generalization of the kinds of things that mentors do. And then people like us who research mentoring often will try to measure how well mentors are doing these different functions. Um, But the kinds of questions that we tend to ask still tend to be sort of broad. So we might say, you know, does your mentor take you out to lunch or does your mentor help you seek out networking opportunities or how often does that kind of thing happen. Um, but when it comes down to it, we don't necessarily know what the mentors are doing to do those kind of things or exactly how they're behaving in those circumstances. So, for example, one of the, the things we used to, we like to point out when we present about this is that somebody might, two different um, mentees or protégés, so or the people that are getting mentee, mentored are sometimes called mentees or protégés, and two different people might both answer that question. Um, my mentor takes me out to lunch somewhat often, right? But some mentors can take you out to lunch and you can be engaged in a really excellent conversation and they're really paying attention to you and you're um, feeling connected and you're learning things and you're getting good advice and you're sharing stories and you're having a delicious lunch and it's wonderful. And somebody else might have this really routine, boring sort of uh, fast food lunch with their mentor where they're checking their phone and half paying attention to them, but they would still answer that question the same way. My mentor often takes me out to lunch. But one of them is having this amazing experience And one of them is having this kind of terrible experience, but we can't see that from the way we typically ask these questions. So we decided we wanted to try to dig in a little deeper and have some kind of intensive interviews with different mentors from different occupations who have been kind of called out by their peers or their supervisors as being specifically and particularly good mentors who have a history of being really excellent and have a good reputation and sit down and really try to drill in to what it is that they actually do in really specific mentoring episodes. So our latest research project um, started with this process of trying to identify these mentors and then really trying to dig in deep to some of the examples of exactly what they were doing and how they were doing it when they were engaging in what they would call good mentoring.
1: Do any specific stories come to
2: mind? Um, let's see. Can you think of any card off the top of your head?
3: Well, there was the one I thought you were uh, you were uh, Shanghaied and taken off to sea somewhere.
2: Oh. <laughs> Yeah, there was one guy that I interviewed um, on a trip to Seattle who worked for the shipping industry, and he was so excited about being a mentor. This was a great guy to talk to, and he mentored a lot of students who were getting ready to graduate from a program at a a college that was close by there and they were going out kind of into the world into their first jobs and this guy had this really um, elaborate kind of method of um, he had this big binder where he had all these exercises and things that he gave them to do and all of these tough questions he would ask them and this process he put them through and he would give them homework assignments to really get them thinking about themselves but most of our interviews with these mentors went me be 45 minutes to an hour and a half, and I think I, I was with him for about two and a half or three hours. Kurt thought I got kidnapped and taken out to sea. So um, some people just get so excited to talk about this, and you can really tell the kind of passion and the kind of thought they put into this process of really helping to develop somebody.
3: Yeah, we we had folks that um, there was kind of a mix of different occupations, but a number and, and ranks within organizations. But we had um, executives from just like Starbucks, REI, McDonald's, um, a couple of big eight accounting firms, and so you know, kind of visible big name organizations. And uh, I think in a lot of instances, you just this was a really exciting topic for them to talk about. They were very, even though they had these uh, pretty impressive jobs, um, mentoring was clearly something uh, that they were really excited about. And so the opportunity to talk about how they mentored, uh, I think, was was um, create, generate a lot of passion in, in for most of them in their responses.
1: What commonalities did you perceive as all these different perspectives came up about mentoring. Were there commonalities?
2: Yeah, there are definitely commonalities, and actually that's a, one of the main things we set out to look for. So we were interested in taking all of this information and um, transcribing these interviews and, and doing what's called the content analysis to try to really figure out if we could pinpoint some of the themes that were common across what all of these mentors were doing. But, of course, and, you know, we were really interested in trying to specify what are the exact behaviors that people really do in these mentoring relationships and how do they do them, um, and so, of course, in in trying to get them to talk about specifics, it's kind of hard to get people not to talk in generalities and say, oh, I typically do such and such. And we said, no, 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 think of an exact time. What were you doing at that time? What room were you in? We tried to, like, really pin them down so they could describe it to us. And, um, and so getting them to be so specific obviously would get them to tell stories that were kind of different from each other because they were in all of these different industries. But we were looking to see if we can pick up on themes that were across these different things. And we went through these interviews over and over and over um, with our team all, um, and looked at them a bunch of different ways and tried to kind of code these into um, things that were kind of grouping together. And what we ended up discovering – is kind of across the board it seemed like mentors sometimes would talk about what it is they do by specifying the objective that they had like so kind of why they were trying to do something Um, and then sometimes people would talk about the more in terms of the actions exactly what it was that they were doing and we realized that any kind of story that they were telling us really had some combination of an objective they were trying to achieve and a specific action they were doing but the way they enacted that specific action. Would vary a little bit. And so, what we realized is we could kind of come up with this framework or this way to organize all of this information so that we could kind of chart it all in terms of, of sort of a matrix. So, we would have kind of all the objectives that mentors seem to be um, doing and then all the actions they did, and then kind of if you can picture it, sort of like a, a rectangle. And then inside of that, we had the really specific examples of how they would explain. How how they did something, and we call those enactments. So what we ended up coming up with out of this research project was um, this this kind of massive general um, description of all these different things that people were doing, but they were definitely organized around these common set of objectives and these common set of actions. So we think that this could be quite useful um, in terms of people trying to understand what they should do if somebody is interested in becoming a better mentor or is taking on a new mentoring relationship for the first time and they're not quite sure what it is that they're supposed to do. They have this general idea, but they don't really know specifically what they should do, that they can think about the objectives they'd like to achieve with this particular mentee that they have, the kind of actions they're comfortable with doing, and then they can kind of use this framework to get examples of what good mentors have done to try to bring these things to life. Would you say that kind of explains it, Kurt?
3: Yeah. So just to give you just a little bit more uh, kind of detail to help you visualize it, we, I think, I think the numbers we came up with is we had across all of these interviews, we had 24 different types of objectives that a mentor might have. So an objective would be to build a personal relationship with my mentee, to improve my mentee's competency, to Prepare them for a job interview or for promotion. So we had 24 of those. We had 32 of these broad actions. These weren't the levels that we were digging at, but they could be things like, uh, give a challenging assignment, give feedback, ask questions, um, set expectations. And then, so we had 32 by 24 of those. And then what we are really after, what Lisa called these enactments, were these really specific descriptions that if, you know, we read them to you, you should be able to see in your head exactly what we see in our head that's at that level of detail. We wound up with 758 of those very behavioral, uh, what we call enactments, um, that would be nested in some combination of this 24 by 32. So we, we learned, in other words, we've learned a lot.
1: Wow. We're going to break for commercial here in just a few seconds. And when we come back, I'd like to start with the answer to the question, or at least to explore the question can mentoring be taught? So we're going to go to commercial, and when we come back with Kurt and Lisa, we're going to ask about whether mentoring can be taught.
4: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. When people are making a significant impact, they're engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter and people drive results. But how do you recognize those people? At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths. They help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at www.talentplus.com. Talent Plus, where science meets talent, where people drive results. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
1: Welcome back to Mentoring with Larry Sternberg. My guests today are Doctors Kurt Krager and Lisa M. Finkelstein. And we're going to pick up the conversation with the question... Can
3: mentoring be taught?
2: You want me to go first, Kurt, or do you want to go first? Uh, You go for it. Okay. Um, I think absolutely mentoring can be taught. I don't think every single person necessarily has um, the natural talent or skills to be the best mentor in the world, but I think a lot of people can become mentors and I think they can become good mentors. So I would say that some people have a natural proclivity towards, um, first of all, really wanting to be helpful and generative and trying to, you know, help other people kind of come up through the ranks and, um, and a natural like inclination to want to teach and to want to help and not everybody has that inclination and so not everybody um, probably should be mentors if that isn't a desire of theirs but I think some people sometimes avoid um, becoming a mentor because they just don't understand what that exactly means and they also think there's a lot of pressure on them to somehow know everything and be sort of this image that we have of uh, you know the older wiser person who um, kind of imparts wisdom down onto everybody and can always help with every situation, and and very few people are ever going to be like that. And, um, for example, one time um, on a different project that Kurt and I worked on several years ago, we put together a mentoring program for state employees, and in the process of doing this, we assigned different people, volunteered to become mentors or to join as mentees. And I had a mentor call me at home one time. And he was very concerned. He was about to meet with his mentee for the first time, and he was just saying, this is actually one of the things that kind of inspired our recent project, I think, about this a lot. He was so panicked about, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I know know what a mentor is, but specifically what am I supposed to do during this meeting? I'm not really sure what's expected of me. And so I think that um, a lot of people shy away because they don't quite understand what happens in mentoring relationships. And so mentoring can be lots of different things to lots of different people. And I think one of the most important things um, that is needed is sort of an understanding within the dynamic of a particular mentoring relationship that... um, People need to understand what they want to expect or what they want to get out of that mentoring relationship, and no two pairs are going to be exactly alike. So I think if those expectations are set, that anybody really can be trained and can learn how to think about mentoring, how to adjust your mentoring depending on the needs of somebody else, and what just be exposed to some of these different behaviors that good mentors do can give people ideas for what they can do going forward. So I think my short answer after that long answer is yes, I definitely think they can be trained. But let's ask the training expert, Kurt, what he thinks about that.
3: Yes, yeah, so as you were talking, they said there's a commercial – that I've seen on TV, and I'm not sure who who makes the commercial, but it's a it's like a, a guy, an older guy, goofing up a lot of things, and then he's with a son or a younger person, and the message is something like you don't have to be per- a perfect to be a perfect dad, and I think some of that applies to mentoring as well. And what you're talking about, kind of the pressure that without any training or preparation, I think sometimes people go into mentor. What if I make a mistake? What if I don't have all the answers? And um, I think what we would say is there's a whole bunch of behaviors that you could be doing, goals that you could be setting um, that get you and the mentee moving in the right direction, even if it's not perfect or by the book. I think helping people understand that would make them better mentors. Um, There's also a distinction between, you know, could you mentor someone in your area of expertise you know, So I could be maybe I'm an effective mentor to a new assistant professor at a university because I've done that for 30 years. But could I, for example, mentor someone who's not a professor? Um, with what I know now, I don't think I could have a couple years ago, but having completed this project and seen um, everything that we've learned about what mentors do, um, I do think I could take some of those behaviors and I could ask good questions. I could challenge someone. I, you know, If I don't know what a challenging assignment is for my mentee, they may know what would be challenging, and we could have a discussion if that would move them forward. I would know how to hold someone accountable. So, yeah, I think that um, what we've learned from this is there's kind of a set of kind of broad objectives, broad actions that, a mentor should be able to or capable to choose between, and just kind of knowing what that domain is um, would be really helpful for training purposes. Larry, one of the things that Lisa and I've talked about is kind of a follow-up is to the work that we've done. Is would there be a way of taking what we've learned and turning it into a workshop that you know an organization says we've committed to mentoring, but we want our mentors to be better? Um, what would it look like? I don't think anyone wants to read our 758 enactments. Is, <laughs> Somebody that's right? <laughs> is, is yeah, your, um, your graduate no students <laughs> right but, but I think you know. I think our, our intuition is that there's a, you know when, when you give people the big picture, this is kind of what mentoring means, and this is where you fit within that. And then you help them think about, you know, being flexible in their behavior. You don't always have to do one thing over and over again. It kind of depends on who you're working with, what you're comfortable with. Here are some general guidelines. And it's something that you have to keep practicing um, because, you know, I think Lisa's point is a really great one. Some people are probably naturally better at this than others. Some people probably have more of an inclination to be in kind of that helping mode. Um, but if you think about it as these are some learned behaviors, and I'm going to um, I'm going to get better if I practice. Uh, I think people would improve over time uh, with with a little bit of guidance.
1: You've both mentioned natural talents or skills or inclination to be a great mentor, and you've both mentioned the desire to be helpful. Are there any other natural talents? that help someone have the aptitude to be a great mentor.
2: Um, Yeah, I think uh, we didn't look too much directly at that in the study of behavior specifically, but there's been a lot of research that has tried to understand kind of the characteristics that make up people who are good mentors or who have a tendency to be a good mentor. So, for example, one of the things people look at is um, different kinds of personality variables. So, one is called a proactive personality. So, people who tend to really want to make things happen and tend to be go-getters and want to kind of change their environment and not just kind of go with the flow, those people tend to both seek out mentors and tend to want to be mentors. There's also some work kind of suggesting that people that are more extroverted might have an easier time naturally in building the relationships that go from kind of strangers to a close relationship that mentoring is um, as compared to people that are more introverted, which definitely doesn't mean that introverted people do not make good mentors or can't, but just might, um, be less likely to seek out these kind of new interpersonal relationships. And then one other thing that we actually did look a little bit at, um, kind of as a side factor in this study that we have been talking about is that there's certain people that have, um, kind of a belief that people generally are the way they are, that people, that, um, people's um, talents and skills are kind of fixed. And other people, on the other hand, tend to believe that people can change if they want to change, that talents can be fluid. Um, And so people that have this more fixed mindset that people are generally the, the way they are, they are probably not going to make the best mentors nor are they probably going to want to mentor because they're probably not going to think that they're going to do much good because they're going to kind of expect that people just, if this is the way this person is, this is the way they're always going to be, there's nothing I can do about it. But on the other hand, people who tend to see people's talents and skills and um, tendencies as being more fluid might want to be somebody who's going to be helpful in changing and improving people's um, habits and skills and things like that. And so the people that have this um, mindset that people can change tend to make good mentors. Is there anything else you can think of, Kurt?
3: Yeah, I'd I'd add two things. So this, the first one comes not so much from the mentoring literature, but thinking back on the interviews that we did that, you know, these are relatively well-accomplished, career-successful people. And a lot of them had kind of a certain type of humility about themselves. And so all of them seemed to take, you know, they would tell these stories of, you know, they were working with this junior person and now they're the director of something, or now they own their own McDonald's franchise or, or something. and and But the pride comes from the accomplishment of the mentee that they've worked with, which is very different than saying, oh, I really helped this person get to where they are now. And I think sometimes we can imagine people with prestige and power being threatened by someone kind of beneath them. Uh, but I think, you know, what, what I think we saw in our interviews are people who, um, again, they have this humility and, and they, they, they see the accomplishment of the mentee as something that's really positive. Not everyone thinks that way. Mm-hmm.
2: The, other,
3: the other answer I'd add is that I, I've been, I think occasionally of how my mentoring has changed as a result of the project that we did and I'm certainly a lot more aware and I sometimes think well I have this problem right now with this mentee what are the actions or what are the objectives and I'll try to kind of pull from what we did but one of the things I've noticed overall that I've changed is I tend to be a lot more either honest or direct with my mentee than I was before I started the project and I I, so it's not quite your your question, you know what's something natural? I think for me, naturally, I try to be indirect, and I like people to kind of solve their own problems. but I think what I've kind of learned through this is when you're a mentor, part of your role is to help them see reality, and sometimes by avoiding the issue or giving them the time and the space to figure out things on their own um, sometimes that's not always the best. So as I'll say, well, actually, you know that this is a weakness of yours or this is something that we can work on, but you're going to have to take ownership to become a better writer or to uh, express your ideas better, you know, whatever that looks like. And I'm guessing that a willingness to be direct, not negative, but to be direct for the benefit of the mentee probably falls somewhere in there in terms of a, a... a characteristic of effective mentors.
1: Great. Thank you both. I'd like to move on to my next question, which is how would you distinguish a mentoring relationship from a teaching relationship, a coaching relationship, a supervisor relationship? What's the distinction?
2: I think that it kind of depends on who you ask so I don't know I think the lines can be blurry sometimes Um, so for example and some people can have multiple multiple of those relationships with the same people. So, I mean, we might be thinking of this specifically because we're both professors. And so the same individuals might we might consider our mentors, our mentees, and they're also our students in some circumstances. So sometimes we have our teacher hat on and sometimes we have our mentor hat on. Um, And I would say that coaching oftentimes is one of the actions that mentors can use. So somebody can be a coach and not a mentor, and they're usually hired... um to help somebody with a specific problem, so it tends to be very transactional. It's not as much of a personal relationship, but coaching as a verb is something that a mentor can do. They can use coaching skills to try to help somebody um, think about how they're working on a problem, for example, think about what their weaknesses are, think about um, how to how to kind of give them different kinds of tasks to work on where they can build up their skills, so things that coaches do, mentors can do as well, Um, but I think that Mentoring is broader, and it also tends to be um, a more personal relationship, and it, I think sometimes it's a more um, two-way relationship, so mentors get a lot out of mentoring as well. Not that coaches don't get anything out of it, but in terms of it really being a personal kind of mutually beneficial relationship, I see that as developing a little bit more um, among mentors. What do you think, Kirk?
3: Yeah, I think the, the last comment's a, a, a terrific insight. And so we we collected, you know, some of the behaviors um, or actions that we did and that we collected included socializing. Um, you know, I would bring my uh, mentor and his family over for dinner to get to know them better, or, you know, we would go out to lunch occasionally or go to an exercise class together. And th- there's clearly in a lot of mentoring relationships a close personal, professional, but personal relationship between the mentor and the mentee. And that's, I think, part of what most of us would say is part of the magic of the mentoring is that there's mutual respect for each other. There's there's a relationship built on respect and openness that allows the mentor to be effective. And as Lisa says, the mentor also gets something out of it. If you started doing, taking Some of those same that type of personal relationship, behaviorally, and then saying, "Okay, we're also going to replicate that between an employee and a supervisor, or between a professor and a student." That becomes, I think, a little bit more problematic. So that's a nice. I think that's a nice place to draw a line. Um, I think in terms, one of the things that I've seen both in kind of the business world and also in the research literature is kind of an effort to turn supervisors into mentors and i get why because we know that there can be benefits of mentoring and they're together all the time anyhow but i think there's a risk there because as a supervisor you know sometimes you have to tell this person you did something wrong they have to be dis- you have to discipline you're giving them assignments and there's a lot of things that the supervisor is doing within their role, and there's a power differential that could be difficult to overcome if that person's also the mentor. During the course of this project, I was a uh, department chair uh, in psychology, and so one of the things that I had to do was act as a supervisor to other faculty, but I was also expected to do some mentoring of of junior faculty and Lisa talked about switching hats uh, one of the things that I actually did is we would do like a performance review and then I was also supposed to give them advice and help them in their careers again a junior person we would sit at a small table with multiple chairs and I would do the review I would ask do you have any questions or are you good and they would say yes and I would stand up, and I would walk over to the next chair and sit down. <laughs> and say, and now let's do the mentor. I love that story. <laughs> and, and and you know, obviously, I'm the same person. And and if they don't trust me as a supervisor, they're not going to trust me as a mentor. But I was really trying to create kind of a visual um, set for them that I'm now trying to ap- operate in a different role, and I'm trying to facilitate a different, you know, act have two different relationships with them in the same room at roughly the same time.
1: Fascinating. We're going to go to commercial here, and when we come back, I want to ask the question about your advice for organizations that want to establish formal mentoring programs.
4: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. When people are making a significant impact, they're engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter and people drive results. But how do you recognize those people? At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on the job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person to person interviews not only identify talents, But uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths. They help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at www.talentplus.com. Talent Plus, where science meets talent, where people drive results. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
1: We're back with Dr. Kirk Krager and Dr. Lisa Finkelstein. We're talking about mentoring, and we're going to discuss advice for organizations who wish to set up formal mentoring programs?
3: So let me let me jump in and go first, um, and then I'll turn it over to Lisa. My my advice would be to uh, purchase Lisa's book. Uh,
2: <laughs> That's yeah. so I'll turn so it over so to you. I didn't have to promote it myself.
3: What's the title of the book?
2: The title of the book is "Designing Effective Mentoring Programs: An Evidence Based uh, Approach." <laughs> Ouch. So actually look at that. Um so this is a book that I co authored with some colleagues and, and they're also quite good friends, um, Tammy Allen and Mark Poteet. So it's Allen, Finkelstein and Poteet. and it came out in two thousand and nine. Um, and we were we actually started working on thinking about these ideas because, you know, there's sort of this division and there's a lot of people that believe that Formal mentoring and formal programs will never be as good as the kind that are just sort of natural and organic and just develop um, on their own time and in their own pace and so we wanted to explore that idea if that 's just sort of what people believe or what they 're seeing or is there evidence for that and so Tammy had actually written another or edited another book, and Mark and I wrote a chapter for that. So, Mark is a practitioner. He's not a a professor, and he helps to develop formal mentoring programs as part of his consultancy. And so, Tammy teamed the two of us up together to look at it from the practice angle and to look at it from the research angle and to see if what researchers are studying or what practitioners are doing. And on the flip side, the kinds of things that are of concern to practitioners, is that what researchers are paying attention to? And so it was a fun chapter to write, and we found some gaps in kind of what we know and what we don't know. And so we um, decided, the three of us, to team up together and write a book. And we wanted to write a book for practitioners, but based on what there is research evidence, hence the evidence-based approach. And so um, we wrote a book that's very much designed for organizations. It has a lot of case studies. Um, We did a lot of interviews with people that run mentoring programs at a variety of organizations. And it has a lot of, like... um, Things that mentors or people putting programs together can use, for example, surveys and questionnaires for potential mentors and potential mentees to try to seek out the kind of person that they are, things that you can match people on, Um, ways to figure out if the organization is actually going to be supportive of the program, Um, ways to evaluate so questions you can use to evaluate. So it's very friendly to practitioners who want something to to be able to just kind of go with. Um, but what we did learn from doing this is that all the organizations that we spoke to, and my one of my roles in this book was to do all of the interviews with these organizations, is that so many people said it's so important to make decisions based on the culture of your organization. So, for example, some people talked about the idea that the mentees should be able to pick their own mentor. So make it a little bit more informal, so kind of blending an informal way that um, mentoring develops with a more formal, structured um kind of monitoring of what was going on and evaluating what was going on um and they said that they had to do that because you can't force anybody to do anything in your org- in that their particular organization and that if they tried to do it where they were assigning people nobody would be interested and then another organization a week later said exactly the opposite thing they said we really need to make sure that we think long and hard about this in terms of finding the characteristics we want to match people on and people expect in our organization would expect this to be very structured or they're not going to want to be involved in it. So it was really funny to hear two people very adamantly saying the exact opposite thing, but the thing that they had in common is that they were considering their organization's culture and they were kind of going with that. So I would say if I was going to give just a few pointers besides reading the book, it would be um, some of the things that we learned is just that it's so important to be really clear on why you want to have a mentoring program, so you shouldn't just have it to have it, um, you need to think, is there is there a reason or a main objective for the organization to have this program? What kind of problem are they trying to solve? What are they trying to improve? And really make sure people are on board and they're communicating that they're on board with this, because if people don't think that there's buy-in, just like with any other kind of organizational program, nobody's going to be really behind it and putting resources and time into it. And then another thing that I think is is one of the most important things is just that I mentioned it earlier, the thing about setting expectations. So um, mentoring, as we know, is a sort of broad term. Not everybody knows exactly what it's all about. So really making sure that within the actual pairs, so however you match them up, and it can be very complicated, it's like setting up people on blind dates. And so you want to think about why you would use certain techniques to match people up. But once you have people together, the important thing is really to get them on the same page about what they're expecting. And one pair might want to do something different than another pair, and they should have that leeway to make decisions. As long as the two people in the relationship are on the same page, that seems to be what matters and that they need to, you know, if, if they don't know each other already, it could be a little awkward. I think this is a problem that a lot of people have with formal kinds of relationships that it's just not natural. It's is like an arranged marriage and you're sticking people together. How are they supposed to develop this, you know, deep relationship? And so just like with any other relationship, if they're committed to it, if they are um, kind of on the same page with developing trust, and confidentiality, that they're willing to, before they get into anything major and before they start sharing um, personal information, that they just start to get to know each other and become comfortable with each other and are just honest about what they want out of the relationship, then you tend to have really more relationships, more partnerships that are going to work. It's not going to work for every single partnership. It's not always going to be... Um, perfect for everybody, but you're more likely to have a program that is successful if you are thinking about these things, kind of training people about how to get started in the relationship, um, monitoring how it's going, and then being sure to kind of keep a finger on the pulse of what's going on, evaluate it, think about it, um, and make changes going forward.
1: What was the best formal mentoring program you've encountered? What's the gold standard? Who's doing that?
2: I don't know if I could. I could say that actually not just because I probably should, shouldn't call anybody out specifically, but I really think there were so many. There was such a variety of programs out there, but there was really the ones that were paying attention to all of the steps along the way. So really thinking about why they were doing it, really incorporating it into their organization's culture. Um, Some of them were like giving awards for the best mentors and they talked about mentoring all the time. And so it was really part of their whole strategic plan that mentoring was something that that everybody was going to be really involved in within the organization. I think those kinds of programs where it's part of the big picture really seems to be um, the ones that are most successful and the ones that have been the most long-standing.
1: You're both members of uh, two different uh, universities. Do either of those have mentoring programs?
2: Um, Yeah, my university has a bunch of different mentoring programs, so there isn't one particular standard one within the organization. We have um, a mentoring program for new faculty. We have a mentoring at the university level. We have mentoring programs for um, new freshmen coming in to be mentored by faculty. We have different peer mentoring programs, Um, and then certain specific departments or specific units will also have their own mentoring program. So there isn't anything that's super standardized. They've been trying to kind of bring it all together. I've been consulting with some people um, and talking to them about that. They're trying to kind of understand everything that's going on within mentoring within the university. But at at this point, it seems like it's a little um, disparate. What about you, Kurt?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, what what we've encountered here is you know the, I've been here for over ten years is that whenever there's an effort to start something formal, people are kind of stuck together, and the mentor doesn't know what to do, and everyone's kind of really busy, and it, by the second month, nobody's really meeting. And so the men I th- there's always going to be informal ones, but the the formal ones haven't worked really well. Um, I know in our, so we're in the College of Natural Sciences, so you have psychology, biology, chemistry, physics, and there's a, um, there's a pretty successful mentoring group among women in the college, and so I think you have really high commitment of senior women who have struggled for various reasons with kind of the political culture um, over the years, and then, so they're really motivated to work with uh, junior women coming in to make sure that their path is a little bit smoother. So, when I was chair, we hired a number of, of female faculty members, and while I was available to mentor them, I said, "You need to make sure that you go talk to I would to connect them to the leader of of that group um, because this has been a, this is a group that has been successful over the years, and due to the kind of the dedication of of the senior mentors within the program
1: you know there's a a fairly widely held point of view in my opinion that women have more of a challenge in finding mentors than men do and and besides what you just said is there anything else we can do to improve that
2: um I think that that's interesting and I don't actually know I think you're right that there's um kind of a perception that sometimes women are not finding mentors within their organizations particularly if they are seeking out other women to be mentors and they're seeking out somebody higher up in the organization, there's just fewer women, as we know, um, at higher levels in the organization. So those women may not have the availability because there's so, there's so many people that want to have them as mentors. Um, but I also think what Kurt says is, is accurate as well, that sometimes women have this desire to put together these kind of programs and um, kind of help each other seek out other people. So if they're not particularly in your own organization, there's networks of women um, that can kind of organize themselves to, to try to find mentors. So I think seeking people outside of your own organization, belonging to groups, so professional organizations oftentimes will have mentoring programs as well. So we, belong, we both belong to SIOP, as you mentioned before, and they've had mentoring programs before that have helped people, even if they're not in the same organization, they're in the same profession. And then I think that um, not all women need or want specifically or care either way if they have a woman mentor or a male mentor and so I think that um, depending on their needs and depending on the specific expectations that they have some women really want to have another woman as a mentor and some women don't care very much and other do you women think men really care? want excuse me can you say that again
1: yes do you think men care whether they have a woman or a man as a mentor
2: um, I think that's really varied as well. So we've seen some of that come up in research where we've tried to understand combinations of women and men, like who's the mentor and who's the mentee, and is it same gender, or opposite gender. And all the research that, that that we've done with my colleagues have had so few examples of the woman as the mentor and the man as the mentee that we didn't have actually enough Data to kind of compare it to the other groups to really make some kind of a um, comparison in terms of satisfaction and things like that. So what what we saw was that it didn't seem to matter, but it was such small samples. So that kind of speaks to the notion that we don't have those examples quite as much. So there could be men that are, for whatever reason, not seeking out women, or the women may not want to take. Male mentees, when there's so many female mentees that are looking for them. Um, So there's so many different reasons why we might not find those combinations quite as much. But I think the assumption is that women always want women and men always want men as their mentors. And I don't think that's actually the case, So I think that it's important for, for example, for programs to ask those questions, like how important is it to you that your mentor be the same gender or another gender? And in a previous study that we mentioned before that Kurt and I put together a program for our state employees, we asked that question of them when we were matching them. Do you care if you, your mentor is the same gender or not? And... We mostly had people that said they didn't it didn't matter to them at all and that was both men and women and when people made a specific request it tended more to be women requesting women. We rarely found that men were saying that they cared either way. So this is one one
3: thing thing I would add is in in just
1: a few seconds, but get a
3: quick comment in, please. Okay. Yeah, so in in the in the study that we conducted oftentimes an effective mentor would provide other resources so as a male I may be able to I I, I am comfortable in this relationship say with a female mentee but I would also recommend that they spend some of their time getting to know senior women within the organization that was a very consistent behavior we found in our study Mm
1: -hmm. terrific this has been a fascinating conversation I've learned a lot. I know our listeners are going to learn a lot. And tell us your book again.
2: Oh, it's um, Designing Effective Mentoring Programs An Evidence Based Approach by Alan Finkelstein and Poteet.
1: Terrific. Is that available on Amazon?
2: It sure is.
1: If you want to learn more about mentoring and set up a mentoring program, buy this book on Amazon. Thank <laughs> you both for
4: taking the time to. Help us all learn more about the mentoring relationship. Thank you for joining us this week for Mentoring with Larry Sternberg. Please join Larry again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, for another edition of the program on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.